honor it is to be here. Pastor Bernie, thank you so much for allowing us to come. Church, thank you for allowing us to be here. We've been looking forward to this. You have a good-looking pastor. Amen. Amen. That goatee and those glasses. If you like long-haired preachers, I guess, but he's, I still think he's good-looking. Amen. My name is Eric Germain. This is my beautiful wife, Elizabeth, and this is our 15-month-old daughter, Olivia. You want to say hi, Olivia? Can you say hi? There you go. And uh, Olivia likes to make uh, her animal noises for you. Olivia, what does an elephant say? Olivia, what what does the elephant say? How about a lion? What does a lion say? <laughs> give her a second. Give her a second. All right, we'll give her a minute. Tell you a little bit about uh, our background and what we're doing going to northern India. My background for the last 19 years uh, was in the corporate world. I was an IT professional. So uh, basically that means I'm a computer nerd, right? <laughs> Proud to admit it. Uh, lived and worked in the Washington, D.C. area, and as I said, for 19 years at the same job, um, earning a very comfortable salary. Um, quite honestly, the IT field in the Washington, D.C. area can be very profitable. Uh, we were earning over $100,000 a year doing that, and, uh, the, and also serving in ministry at our home church. I was the associate pastor there. That was considered a part-time position. But uh, the Lord really got in my face and kind of challenged us and said, Eric, are you happy? Are you, are you content? I should say, are you content um, building your kingdom, living your dream, pursuing your goals? Or would you like to come and build the kingdom of God? Would you like to come and pursue the heart and the mission and the goals of the cross? And uh, when Elizabeth and I prayed about that and uh, got into scripture and began to realize uh, the heart of God is for the lost, for the unreached in this world. That's why Jesus gave his life. Um, then uh, it really was was not too uh, too hard of a choice to make to say, Lord, we will lay we'll lay it down. We'll lay down the comforts of America. We'll lay down the comforts of our salary, and uh, we'll go wherever you want to send us. And so that's why this time we're going to northern India. Our goal will be to plant the church there among unreached among unreached tribes and language groups in India. There's over two thousand and two hundred unreached. Uh, distinct ethnic groups in India that have no church or no gospel um, witness in their in their group. So, in other words, that means that there are entire language groups or tribes of people. They're not just unchurched, where they got up and didn't go to church. They're unreached. There's no. They have no access to a church. There's no church pursuing them. They couldn't go to a church if they wanted to, if they even knew what it was. And so, we are going to plant the church and raise up pastors and leaders. Uh, to see God's word established there among uh, over a billion people in India who are in that unreached category. Elizabeth is going to share a little bit at this time. Let's see. She's been... Okay. Are you ready? Can you tell everybody, what does an elephant say? Uh. <laughs> Olivia, what does a lion say? Uh. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. All right. Well, well she's uh, she usually does her, her animals and... Um, usually steals the whole show. By the way, if, if you don't hear a thing that I say or Elizabeth because you're watching the cute little baby, uh, that's fine. We give you permission. Don't feel bad about that. That's normal. Uh, if you don't remember anything else, just remember we're going to India. So uh, do you want to trade here? I think she's teething again because she's starting to have the waterworks come out. <laughs> but um, 
like Eric said, we're we're gonna go to northern India and um when you saying hi? Hold on, let me see. Olivia, what's the elephant say? Uh. That's okay, that's okay. No pressure, no pressure. Um <laughs> anyway, when 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 God calls you to a place, it's kind of hard, like, okay, you know, he narrowed it down to India for us, so it's like, okay, India, we're going. Now what? You're just like, India is a big place with 1.2 billion people. You know, where do you go, God? How do you know what area? And just in praying about it, um, there's two particular states that we are praying about, one called Gujarat and one called Bihar. Bihar, remember Bihar. And... uh in my own life, something about myself is that um, I didn't come to know the Lord until I was 19 years old. Maybe she wants. Oh, I don't know. Pacifier. Bad parent moment. Forgot her pacifier. Uh, <laughs> but um, I didn't come to know the Lord until I was 19. So if you're in here and you're younger than 19, you have a head start. Read your Bible every day so that you can really get to know the Lord even by the time you're my age. Um, I think, you know, so when I was 19, this is what my family had looked like, okay? I was a third of four children in a single-parent fa- single home, and there was a lot of abuse, a lot of rage, anger problems, and uh, I often felt left out. I often felt in the corner, forgotten, and I grew up thinking that nobody knew my name, that nobody cared about me. And uh, when I came to know the Lord, it was a little overwhelming <laughs> to know that I had a father and that he loved me and that he knew my name. And I'm reading Psalm 139, you know, and going crazy like, you know, it's how many hairs on my head. You know, and I just started counting and I gave up after like 20. Like, forget it. Uh, but, you know, like it just blew me away that I wasn't forgotten. And if you feel forgotten in this room, you're not. You know, and and... God loves you. He knows your name. He knows what you're going through. He knows when you feel like you're left in the corner. He knows, you know, everything that's going on. And um, so when I, I came to know the Lord and I got, I'm so excited, like, wow, I'm somebody, you know, yes. Okay, that's so cool. And uh, never, obviously, lost that passion because, you know, just feeling like I belong is amazing. When we were praying about where to go, this is exactly how the conversation went. Bihar. You don't want to go to Bihar. Those are the forgotten people. I don't think so. I think that that God knows the people of Bihar as much as he knows every one of us in this room. And God cares about the people of Bihar as much as he cares about everyone in this room. And the Bible says, Revelation 7, 9, right? Jumping all the way to end times. We're up in heaven. It's a big party. Woo, woo. And, like, it says, like, sorry, I get excited about it. It says, it says, like, and I look, you know, we're standing before the throne of the Lord, right? And uh, it says, I looked out, and as far as my eye could see, there was a great multitude of people. And there were people there from every tribe, every tongue, every nation. There will be people there from Bihar. Right. There will be people there from Bihar, and, you know, through your prayers and just everything, like, I'm going to introduce them to you and be like, look, these are people from Virginia, and they, they've been praying for you, and they wanted you here, you know. And I believe that someday we're going to get to heaven, and that's, that's going to be so. You're going to meet somebody from Bihar. And not because of us. You know, I am not Mother Teresa. 
Uh, she's awesome. <laughs> I am not, like, there's been missionaries that went before us. Loads and loads of missionaries. You guys have missionaries to India in, in this church. And uh, there's a missionary couple that went, Mark and Holda Buntain, okay? Uh, Holda is like 87 and still going strong in India. That's awesome. <laughs> and they have a hospital. They have a, a, a school. They have a, a huge church. They have a feeding program. They feed 13,000 people every day. I am not hold up and okay, Lord, Lord, you got that? And I was so like, Lord, how, what are we going to do? How are we going to start this? Like, I'm not them. And here's the thing is that on, there's a, a museum and there's pictures up on the wall and you go year to year, backwards, backwards, you know, 1997, 1996. And on 1993, or sorry, 1956, when they started, they started with a 10 by 10 tent. Anybody want to join me by taking a 10 by 10 tent to India? We can do that, right? <laughs> like any of us can go and do that. Well, let me start there, you know? So just pray for us because you know, we're new at this, but we're going and being obedient. And uh, we know that we know that Revelation 7-9, you know, we know the end result. And so whatever happens in between, you know, pray for us to be steadfast, you know, and just to keep going. Yep. So, <laughs> I think she's ready. Oh. One more time. Can you guys, one more time? Let's try it. One more time. All right. Olivia, what's an elephant say? What's the elephant say? Hey. Olivia, you want... Olivia, what does a lion say? Oh. <laughs> we'll still give her cookies after church, guys. Okay. <laughs> How about, do you want to say bye-bye? Do you want to say, use your mouth? <laughs> anyway, so now I'm supposed to be able to uh, dismiss children's church because I get to teach children's church today. What, what? Anyway, who wants to be in kids' church? <laughs> All right. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. Um, and just to uh, wrap that up a little bit, there's only two things that we ask for you to do um, in partnering with us. Number one, we ask that would you please just continue giving faithfully to missions. You're already doing that, um, and you're doing a wonderful job. I know Pastor Bernie's heart is to support every missionary that comes his way. That's his heart. And uh, through your faithfulness and giving to the kingdom of God, uh, you're making that possible. And so we thank you. Continue your faithful giving financially to the work of the kingdom of God. The second thing that we would ask for you to do is, um, not, is to just not send us over funded financially. Um, we, need, we need you to come uh, with us spiritually. We need you to come in relationship with us. Uh, the way that you can do that, if you'll stop at our table right outside of these doors here on your way out, you can pick up a prayer card, uh, take it home. You'll have our happy faces on your refrigerator or wherever you'll put it and remember to pray for us. Um, the place that we're going is a very spiritually dark and demonic place. And quite honestly, the Hindu religion is very, um, it, it's multi-theistic, uh, so they believe in, in many gods, the plurality of gods. And if we just go and tell them Jesus is Lord, they'll say, oh, very good, you know, let's put a Jesus idol here among my many other idols. So we not only have to explain that Jesus is God, but we have to demonstrate that he is supreme, that he is above every other name. And in order to do that, we need your prayers. We need the anointing of God that we can heal the sick and raise the dead and open up blind eyes and do those things in Jesus' name to have the credibility uh, of, of who Jesus is. And uh, that's how they did it in the New Testament. That's how Jesus did it. He, he uh, affirmed the word that was preached through signs and wonders. 
and uh, the place that we're going, we need to do that. And so we ask that you would just uh, partner with us through prayer. Also, you can sign up on, we have an email uh, sign-up list that you can uh, receive our newsletters as well. And so uh, you'll be able to keep up with our family and what we're doing. Uh, we can email you back and get your prayer requests and remember to pray for you as well. Well, once again, Pastor Bernie, thank you so much for having us. We are, are truly grateful to be here. Uh, the Spirit of God is here. Amen. Amen. Boy, I don't want to be any place that he's not. Um, I, and I can tell you, there are, are times when um, we have gone to, to, uh, to preach at, at churches and we, you know, we come prepared with the message, and regardless of what else is happening in the spirit, we're going to share the word of God and you know, uh, preach passionately. But then there's other times, like today, when, when I realize um, that God has a message that may or may not intertwine with what I was prepared to speak. And so I thank God that this is a church that allows the, uh, the spirit to move and the ministry of the gifts of the spirit. And I can tell you, even this morning when I woke up and, and in my prayer time, my personal time with the Lord, um, God's heart is just bursting with the message for this church. And it's a message of love. And it may not be uh, love in the definition that you and I are maybe automatically think of, of love being a very, uh, you know, affectionate and hugging and touching and, you know, all these nice warm feelings. But the love of God is so far above anything that you and I can even compare it to in this world. But God was just breaking my heart with just his love for this church in particular. Now, I understand that God loves the world. I understand that. But what I'm saying is that the Spirit of God has a, has a heart of love and a message of love here for this church. And it, it's going to be revealed through his word as we get into the word of God this morning. There's a couple things that I want to say that the Spirit of God was speaking to me. And Pastor was absolutely right. The Spirit of God is here and, and is speaking. And when you come into a spiritually rich environment, a place where Jesus is exalted, a place where the Spirit is allowed to move, it is just, it's, an amazing, it's an amazing place to, to be, to preach, to pray. Just to be in, in a, the presence of God is wonderful. And um, so I'm not surprised that even as I was sitting there during worship that God was just speaking some things to me. I want to just share a couple of them. First of all, Pastor, I want to say you can be very uh, pleased with your church. From the moment Elizabeth and I walked, uh, actually pulled up in the parking lot, we were greeted warmly with friendliness. Uh, one after another, people asking, do we need anything? Can we help you? Uh, someone asked me, you know, can I get you some fresh water? Uh, someone else asked me, uh, you know, do, do you need anything at all? You know, whatever that is, let me know. Um, everyone that we greeted, we weren't uh, just given a, a cursory, you know, fly by, oh, hi, and keep walking. I mean, every, hi, with a warm smile. How are you? We're so glad you're here. And there's a genuine love that is here in this church. And I just thank you uh, for, for modeling that, um, because I know that if you weren't modeling that, it wouldn't be here. And I understand it's, it's the work of the Spirit of God, but also it's a reflection of the heart of the shepherd. And so uh, I just want to say thank you for your service and uh, for your heart for shepherding this church. And um, I just appreciate the passion that's here in the worship. I appreciate seeing so many young people here uh, wanting to, to serve and honor the Lord and give your lives uh, in service to the Lord. And uh, it's just a beautiful thing. I appreciate the older folks that I've met. Um, here. And let me just say to the older generation, you're not being forced out by the younger generation. And there may be 
someone here, you feel that way, and, and you, you're seeing more younger faces, and, and you know, the music is more contemporary, and it's maybe not um, you know, the style that, that you grew up on. But let me just say that the young people, the church that's coming after you, needs your example of faithfulness in this church, your example of being here, your example of, of showing that it's not about style, that I'm not going to get offended over, over dress or over style of music or over how things are done because I'm going to model that it's the Spirit of God, it's the love of Jesus Christ that is preeminent here in the church. And your faithfulness in coming to this church, in serving, in being an intercessor, in praying, that is what the young church needs to see. And the young church, young church, honestly, you owe a debt of gratitude to the older generation that's here. They have sacrificed and paid a price through prayer and through service, laying the foundation of this church that you may never know. And those who have gone before us are worthy of great honor. And so we honor them and we honor you here. And so uh, it's, just, it's so wonderful to see that this is a multi-generational church. And we're very excited about that. I know God is excited about that this morning. All right, well, praise the Lord. I want to just jump in this morning to the Word of God. I'd like to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. And this is one of my favorite stories in Scripture because it parallels my own life. As I mentioned, uh, working in the corporate world, earning a very comfortable salary, and having a heart for the Lord. Uh, when I came across this passage, I thought, wow, here's, here's someone I can relate with. And then as I continued to read this a little bit more, um, I found out that, wow, I can relate in some ways that I wish I didn't relate. And uh, we're going to read this and find out a little bit more. Mark chapter 10. If you're there, say amen. amen. All right, let's do it. Starting with verse 17. Now, as Jesus was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. There's so much in this that applies to the church in America today and particularly to the younger generation. It's significant that this passage is titled The Rich Young Ruler. But I want to look at this and kind of figure out what's going on because just reading through this, my mind is already spinning as I read this. Maybe yours is too. And we, we look at this, we see, well, here's a young person who's coming to the Lord with great intentions and evidently with a pretty solid lifestyle. But we find out that Jesus puts up what looks like some hurdles or some roadblocks 
in the life of this young person and says, you know what, you still lack something. So I just want to walk through this and find out why this person is, ends up walking away sad, what this means for us. So back in verse 17, what I notice is this young person comes running up to Jesus and falls on his knees before the Lord. Now, running to Jesus is a sign of urgency, isn't it? I mean, he, it doesn't say that he came casually strolling up to the Lord, right? It says he came running and falls down on his knees before Jesus. This is a sign of urgency. It's a sign of what? Surrender, submission. His heart is right toward the Lord, isn't it? From what we're reading so far. I mean, these are good things to have. I mean, we, you know, pastor, we would love to see people come running to the church and fall down on their knees at the altar and say, what do I need to do to get saved? I mean, that's basically what this person is doing. I mean, if, if everyone in the church had this heart of urgency for the Lord and of humility and surrender to Jesus, I mean, we would have revival going on every week. So this is a, he's got a good heart, right? And you can talk back to me. Okay, right? All right. He says, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus says to him in verse 18, well, why do you call me good when no one is good but God? In other words, Jesus is beginning to establish who he is. He's saying, look, you need to really acknowledge that I am the Lord. You're, you're, you're calling me good, and I'm not challenging that. I'm just saying that you realize in calling me good, you're calling me God. Because we're about to have a conversation that is going to cause you to be faced with a serious choice. And we just need to establish here that I am the Lord that I have the authority here to pronounce what I'm about to say. And in verse 19, Jesus begins to say, all right, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud and honor your father and your mother. And in verse 20, the young man answers and says to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Now, I believe that this young man is telling the truth here that he's kept all these commandments. And the reason I believe that is because Jesus doesn't rebuke him. Jesus doesn't point out any inconsistencies. Remember, there's a story in John chapter 4 where there's a woman at the well, and she's trying to be a little bit deceptive about her character. And Jesus says to her, go call your husband. And she says, trying to hide the true condition of her heart, she says, well, Lord, I, I have no husband. And Jesus just sees right through the deception and says to her, well, you know what? As a matter of fact, you're correct. You have no husband. Uh, you've had five husbands, but the man you're living with now isn't your husband, so you've spoken truthfully. So Jesus can see right through the deception. But when this young man says, I've kept all these commandments from my youth, Jesus acknowledges it, basically, by not calling him out on that. So what we have here in this young man is what it seems like we would want to fill our church chairs with, we have a young person who was running to God, falling down on their knees, submitted, humble, acknowledging Jesus as Lord. We have a young person who's not walk, who, who, who doesn't do this on Sundays and then go home and, and live like the world. This is a person who is obeying the commandments. So, so far, this is a person who looks like what would be a model Christian. And this is what I believe a picture of the church in America and what we have sought to have the church look like. Passion for God, character of heart, urgency for the Lord, submission, humility, 
those character issues, obedience to the commands of God, right living. Well, I'm not, you know, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, I'm going to live this way. I'm going to, I'm going to conduct myself with integrity. I'm not going to cheat or steal or lie. You know, not going to smoke or chew or go with girls who do. That, I don't know if that sounds like a country song, I think, but, right? And, and, with, and that's kind of what has become in America to be a Christian. But notice, in verse 21, when Jesus looks at him, it says he loves him. Jesus loves him enough to tell him the truth. And I believe that when I say that God's heart is bursting with love for you this morning, it is a love, listen, it is a love that loves you too much to leave us where we are, but wants to bring us into truth, wants to bring us closer to the Lord. It is a love that cares enough about us to hurt our feelings and to challenge us out of our comfort zone. So look at this. When it says Jesus, verse 21, Jesus looking at him, loved him. That's so important. And said to him, there's one thing you lack. Oh, wait a minute, wait, wait a minute. One thing you lack? One thing you lack, really? I mean, he, he came running to Jesus. He falls down on his knees before Jesus and says, what do I need to do to inherit this eternal life that I've been hearing about? Is that not good enough? How about I've been, since I was a youth, I have been obeying the commandments. I've been fearing God enough to not transgress the commands of the Lord. Is that not enough? See, the reason that this is so perplexing to us is because in the gospel that we preach in America and the gospel that we have bought into and lived our lives for, that is enough, quite frankly. But Jesus looks at him and says, one thing you lack, go your way, sell what you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And right there is where we, we hear the big uh, needle scratch across the record. Right? Like, wait a minute, Jesus, whoa, hold on. In order to inherit eternal life, you're telling me that I have to go sell everything that I have and give it to the poor? I mean, is that how to be saved? Really? I, didn't, I haven't heard that. I didn't hear that in Sunday school. I don't hear that at the, at, 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 you know, the church I go to on, on Sundays or Wednesday nights. I mean, that is not... I mean, are, you know, missionary, is that what you're saying that, that I need to do in order to be saved? That if I don't go sell everything I have and go move to another country, that I'm not really saved? See, the problem is a lot of us, we get to this point and, and the subject of possessions and money and wealth comes up and we just kind of, we get a little bit defensive, the walls come up and we just kind of say, you know what, this doesn't make sense. I don't know what this story is about. It must not have application for me. It probably is about something with this young man. He must have been greedy or selfish or something Jesus was dealing with. So let me just move on to another story in the Bible like the Good Samaritan. I can understand that one, okay? But I don't know what this is about, and this just doesn't sound right, so let's just move on. The problem is when we do that, we miss the whole key. The whole key of this story, the whole key of the, the counsel that Jesus gives is not right here in the sentence we just read about go sell everything you have. If we trip on that statement, we're, we miss the whole thing. You've got to keep reading. What is the last thing Jesus says? He says, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. You see, we cannot build a doctrine out of sell everything you have and give it to the poor in order to be saved. 
Why? Because that is not consistently presented in Scripture as the way to be saved. Okay, we've got to understand all of Scripture and not take things out of context. But when Jesus says, come, take up the cross and follow me, now that is consistently presented throughout Scripture, isn't it? You can find it in Matthew chapter 16. You can find it in Mark chapter 8. You find it here in Mark chapter 10. You find it in Luke 9. All of those places where Jesus says, anyone that wants to be my disciple must take up his cross, must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And as a matter of fact, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus says it again, but he says it this way. He says, anyone who does not take up his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So there is an element of salvation. There is an aspect of being a disciple where this take up the cross is required. In other words, everything else that this young man was doing, having a heart for the Lord, the character, the urgency for God, humility, submission to the Lord, fearing God and keeping the commandments, there's something missing. And it's called take up the cross and follow Jesus. Say, well, Eric, I thought I thought take up the cross and follow Jesus meant to cultivate the character of God in my heart. And I thought that meant to obey the commands. Well, apparently it doesn't because this young man was doing it, but he lacked taking up the cross. So if taking up the cross is a requirement for disciples to take up the cross and follow me, he says, if that's a requirement and if failure to take up the cross and follow him means we cannot be his disciple, then friends, we need to understand what in the world does it mean to take up the cross and follow Jesus? Because we can have everything else going on and have a great church service and we can be Christian like, and we can be nice, and we can be obeying the teachings in Scripture, and we can miss it. So what is this all about, taking up the cross to follow Jesus? I want to give you a principle here, and then I'm going to illustrate it in John chapter 12. If you want to turn with me to John chapter 12, please. What does it mean to take up the cross and follow Jesus? What is this requirement that is not character-based, that is not, does not appear to be obedience to, to the law-based? What is this requirement of take up the cross? You know, I go to Ocean City sometimes. Anybody go to Ocean City, Maryland, go to the beach? I'm the only one. Where do we go here? Virginia Beach? All right. That's fine. I haven't seen him at Virginia Beach. He might be there too, but I go to Ocean City and there's a, uh, there's a guy who walks at Ocean City. They've got this long boardwalk. And there's a guy who walks up and down the boardwalk. And all he's wearing is like a loincloth or something. Like, looks like rags. And he's got this big cross on his shoulder. And he just drags it up and down the boardwalk on Ocean City. Just, that's, that's his ministry. That's what he does. And, I mean, I think that's a very creative way to send a message. But is that what it means? To carry the cross. I mean, are we supposed to? Are we supposed to do that? Are we supposed to go to the beach in 105 degree weather and drag a cross? We probably would look as bad as I think maybe Jesus looked when he was carrying the cross. Is that what it means, or what is this to carry the cross? The cross. We, we need to understand the cross of Christ. Actually, let me let me put it this way. We need to understand the entire the entire scriptures, the entire Bible. 
if we really want to understand what it means to follow the Lord, if we love God enough to say, God, I want to, my life to be whatever you want it to be. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be what someone else tells me I'm supposed to be. I want to be what Jesus requires of me, what Jesus calls me to. Amen? Is that what, what, what we long for? We need to understand that all of Scripture is inspired. Old Testament, New Testament together. We need to not just pick out Scriptures and, and, you know, say, well, how do we apply this nugget? How do, how do I apply this nugget? Well, here's a little teaching on forgiveness. Here's a little teaching on giving. Here's a little teaching on this and that. That's fine, and there's wisdom, and that is inspired, and that is useful for teaching and training us in righteousness. But we also need to step back sometimes and take the whole Bible into context. It's like one of those, uh, those mosaic pictures or paintings, you know, where when you look up close, it's hundreds of different little individual scenes and individual pictures. And, but when you step back, you begin to see, oh, it's a picture of the Mona Lisa. Or, this, oh, it's the Statue of Liberty. And, you know, you get really close, and, oh, the, the Statue of Liberty's, you know, the tip of the torch is a little picture of a guy mowing the lawn, you know. Or, you know, or her, her eye is a lady walking a dog, right? Have you seen those mosaic pictures? But then when you step back, it all comes into view, and there's, there's an overarching message, that's how it is with Scripture. When you step back from the Scriptures and look at the whole thing in context, there is one consistent message from start to finish that Scripture is all about. Bible scholars will call this uh, Missio Dei. All right? That's a Latin term. It just means the mission of God. Missio Dei is the mission of God. Missio Dei is this, that God is reconciling to himself a special people from all the nations of the world through Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. God is reconciling to himself a special people from all the nations of the world or all the ethnicities of the world, I should say, through Jesus Christ. What my wife Elizabeth shared earlier from Revelation 7-9, that's the end of the story. When, when we're in heaven and it's a picture of people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, that is what God is after, friends. It is a, a beautiful uh, collection of diversity of all of God's creation. A, an Old Testament uh, foreshadowing of this, believe it or not, is Noah's Ark. Now, how many have heard the story of Noah's Ark? We can go back and read it. Okay, you've heard it. Good. Noah's Ark. Now, the animals that came onto the Ark... Was, was the animals going on the ark, was it about preserving the greatest number of life forms possible? That's not what the ark was about, right? Because Noah could have kicked out the elephants and got, got in maybe another 10,000 chipmunks, right? Come on, elephants, you've got to go. You're taking up too much space. We, we're we're going to get 10,000 more chipmunks in here and bring them through. No, what was the ark about? The ark, listen, the ark was about preserving the diversity of God's creation through the judgment, wasn't it? That's why Noah didn't allow fishing off the ark, by the way. You might not know this. You know why they weren't allowed to go fishing? Because they only had two worms. <laughs> All right, we'd be in trouble today. You wouldn't be able to go fishing today, right? No, but what's, what was it about? It was about preserving the diversity of the creation, what God had created. That's why there had to be male and female of every species, because God wanted to preserve that diversity of his creation. In heaven, God, through Jesus Christ, 
is seeking to preserve the diversity of all of his creation of us who are made in his image. Jesus is the only one who is worthy that there should be worship around the throne of God forever and ever in every language that has ever been spoken. Jesus is worthy that not one language that's ever been spoken on earth should be absent from around the throne of God. The mission of the cross is to see that that would be accomplished. The mission of the cross is to see that that would be accomplished. In John chapter 12, you might have thought I forgot about this, but here we are. John chapter 12, verse 20. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Let me first set this up. This is the Passover feast. This is a Jewish feast. It lasts for a whole week. It is for the Jews, the nation of Israel. And specifically, this is the Passover feast, the week that Jesus was going to die. Okay, so this is Jesus' last Passover feast. In other words, Jesus is anywhere from three to three to five days away from his death here in this where we're reading. And he knows this is coming. All right. Now, there were certain Greeks among those who came up to worship at the feast. Then they came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, and asked him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip came and told Andrew. And in turn, Andrew and Philip told Jesus. Now, why is scripture making such a big deal out of a couple guys that want to see Jesus. Why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because they're Greeks. First of all, Greeks were not really invited to participate in Jewish activities, especially holy events, right? Because why? They're not Jewish. They're not circumcised. They're, you know, an unclean people. And secondly, because Jesus doesn't do Greeks, if I can put it that way. I mean, Jesus does not have a ministry to the Greeks. Jesus' ministry is to the, to the children of Israel. And so there's, the fact that there's some Greeks here that want to see Jesus can be a problem. There was, once, there was a Greek woman who wanted to see Jesus, and she came begging him on her knees and said, Lord, my daughter's demon-possessed. Lord, would you please cast out the demon? And Jesus just ignores her to the point where the disciples, instead of saying, oh, Jesus, have mercy on her, the disciples say, oh, Jesus, this is annoying. Send her away. And Jesus eventually has compassion on her and and does heal her daughter. But understand that Jesus' ministry is not to the Greeks. So the fact that these Greeks, you could say that these Greeks are are have no access to Jesus. But these Greeks are unreached. So they're coming to Jesus in verse twenty two and they say, Jesus, there's some Greeks here, they're making a big fuss, they really they really want to see you. So let's look at what Jesus' answer is. Verse 23 says, but Jesus answered them. In other words, they're asking about Greeks, but Jesus' answer apparently is not going to have anything to do with the Greeks. But let's take a look because it does. Verse 23, but Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. What's he talking about? He's talking about his death on the cross, right? Verse 24, most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. What's he talking about? He's talking about himself dying on the cross. In other words, he's saying, look, these Greeks have no access to me right now as long as I'm alive. But once I go and lay down my life, 
there will be a ministry that comes through the cross into which the Greeks have access, into which the nations will all have access. Verse 25, he who loves his life will lose it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Verse 26, if anyone serves me, in other words, if anyone wants to be my disciple, let him follow me. He's talking about dying and he's saying, if, if anyone wants to be my disciple, you've got come along, <laughs> follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. Now look at verse 27. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Jesus is saying, my soul is troubled. Why is his soul troubled? Because his death is imminent. The cross is looming. Remember, all of this talk about Jesus' death is in answer to what? Question. What was the whole question? It was about the Greeks, wasn't it? It was about the nations that had no access to the gospel. And Jesus is answering the question saying, let me tell you how they're going to have access. They want to see me. Let me tell you how they're going to see me. When this grain of wheat goes into the ground and dies, it's going to bear a harvest. And he's saying, my soul is troubled over this whole issue. But what am I supposed to say? Father, save me from this hour. And he says, no, but it's for the, this very purpose. In verse 27, for this very purpose, I came to this hour. Jesus is speaking of the entire purpose of his life being the cross. Can you imagine if we had a Jesus who did everything that the Jesus of the Bible did, but skipped the cross? If we had a Jesus who came and, and lived a sinless life, who came and displayed the character of God, came and taught the commandments of God, but didn't go to the cross. What shape would we be in? We'd be dead in our sins. Friends, you and I, the church, we are the body of Christ. If we have a church who skips the cross. If we have a church who comes and manifests the character and goodness of God and we show the love of God and we teach and follow the commands of God, but we don't go to the cross, we've failed in our mission. We have a mission. Young people, hear this. You have a mission. You have a purpose. Your purpose in Christ is not to just have an experience with God and to go from experience to experience, worship experience, Holy Spirit filled experience, to go from experience to experience. Your purpose in Christ is not just to be a good Christian person and to just love everybody and manifest the character of God all the time. Are those good things? Those are great things. Your purpose in Christ is greater than just obeying the commands and doing the do's and not doing the don'ts. There is a purpose. There is a mission to be accomplished. And it is the same mission. The cross is the same mission in our lives as it was in Jesus. The purpose of the cross in Jesus' life, it was a physical cross. And the purpose was that the Greeks, that the nations who don't have access to the gospel, that they could have access to, and be reconciled to God, that they could be included. Our purpose, church, is not just to have an experience with God. Our purpose, 
that we should pursue, that we should give our lives to, that we should commit our finances to, that we should commit our time to and our energies to. And when we begin to ask the question as a young person, what should I do with my life? Or if we ask the question as an older person, what should I have done with my life? My life and my resources and my finances and my time and my energies should, should be given to the purpose that is the purpose of the cross, that is to see that those who do not have access to Jesus, that they can come into the kingdom of God. That is why you were saved. That is why we are here. And a church who gives itself to worldly purposes while looking like, trying to look like Jesus in character, trying to keep the commandments and the teachings of the Bible, but does not devote themselves in life devoting our resources and devoting our energies to this mission of seeing to it that the gospel is proclaimed to those unreached places is, is a church who has missed its purpose. The rich young ruler that we talked about at the very beginning looks like our church. I mean the church in America, okay? Because we've preached a message that basically says Jesus is about making your life better. Not necessarily financially, although maybe. You know, Jesus is about, you know, giving you peace and giving you joy and just having a, a you know, a friend and, and having God in, on your side and God is on your corner and, you know, he's going to be for you. And we begin to say things like, oh, God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. God has a plan for your life. Oh, God has a plan for your life. Right? How many plans does God have? Biblically, God has one plan. God invites us. Now listen, God has a place for your life in His plan. But from the very beginning, when God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to make a nation out of you, and through you, Abraham, all the peoples, all the ethnicities, you can go back and look, and that's what He's saying, all the peoples of the earth, the different nation groups, they're all going to be blessed, Abraham, through you. That was God's heart. You can go all through the scriptures and you see that it's all about the nations, the nations, the nations, reaching those who had no access to the Lord. So my question this morning is simply this. How much of your life, how much of my life is given to this purpose? See, that's the question I was faced with when I was earning $100,000 in my IT job 50 hours a week and coming home and serving the church and doing ministry with the rest of my, my time. I mean, and I was, okay, I, I wasn't living in sin, okay? I was reading my Bible and praying and spending time with God and I was serving in leadership at the church. I was associate pastor and, you know, working to, to see that being done. But my heart inside was breaking over those, those first 50 hours a week that I wasn't directly felt like I was contributing to what God wanted me to contribute to. Now, let me balance this out. I'm not saying that if you're not in ministry full-time, if you're not on the mission field, I'm not saying that that disqualifies you. But we have to understand all of life is ministry. And all of life needs to be a ministry beyond just saying, well, I'm just, you know, I'm going to, just kind of be a witness and, and really I'm, I'm pursuing my goals. See, because what we want to do is we want to pursue our own interests and we want to pursue our own goals. 
quite frankly, the American dream is written into our, you know, we talk about how America was founded on Christian principles, and it was on many, but there is one key secular idea that, that's injected into uh, the foundation of our nation, and it's called the pursuit of happiness. Pursuit of happiness, friends, is not found in Scripture. And when our lives begin to look like a, the pursuit of our happiness and we say, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to bless God and I'm going to be a witness while I'm pursuing my business. That's not good enough. Frankly, that's not good enough for Jesus. That's not what we're called to. It's not biblical. Biblical is I'm going to honor God and be a witness while I pursue God's business. Now, the Lord may raise you up and say, I want you to earn $100,000 a year so that you can give to missions, so that you can give to support outreach in your community, so that you can support the church, or so that you can be an influence in this area. But my question is, are you, in the pursuits of, of your life and the pursuits of my life, are they of our choosing, and we're just seeking to bless God as a byproduct, or is it God who's assigned you there? Are you, are you in your station in life, are you pursuing what you're pursuing because it was your choice? based on your pursuit of happiness, or because God said, I want you to be here at this place, and this is how I want you to contribute to the kingdom of God. There's a difference. God could have said to this rich young man, he could have said, you know, rich young man, I want you to keep doing what you were doing to be, you know, to, to be wealthy, uh, and I want you to tithe, I want you to, you know, to give and, and support, you know, fund the kingdom of God through your efforts. But what Jesus was doing when he said to him, sell all that you have, he was illustrating, look, the, the higher calling is the purpose of the cross, is taking up the cross to follow Jesus. That's the calling. And so what's the application for your life and for my life? It's simply to look at what we've given our, our efforts and our time to doing and have said, Lord, is this, was this of my making? Or is this what you would have me do for the advancement of your kingdom. If you're a young person in this place and, and you, your heart is on fire for God and we sense that this morning, the Spirit of God was here because of that. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people. That's why He's here this morning, because you love the Lord. But realize that God not only calls us to His character, but He calls us to His mission. He invites us into his mission. And, and I see the church in some places, in some ways, not about God's business. We've almost made it about ourselves as consumers. I want to check in with God. I want to get my, my, my Holy Spirit fix. And I've got nothing against Wonderful, strong services. I'll close with this last scripture. Isaiah chapter 49. See, Israel had this problem too. This is not a unique American problem. Israel had this problem. They were looking for the Messiah to come. They were waiting for the Savior. But Israel was looking for a Savior to come for their purposes. They were looking for a Savior to come and throw off Roman rule. Or back in the Old Testament, they were looking for uh, a Messiah to come and exalt the nation of Israel and to just, you know, be the glory of Israel. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 6 says this. Indeed, he says, it is too small a thing that you, 
Jesus, should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you as a light to the Gentiles, who are the Gentiles, the nations, right? That you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. What does this mean here translated into, into New Testament? It says, indeed, it is too small a thing. You see that in verse 6, too small a thing. It's too small a thing that what Jesus has done for you should stop with you. Now listen, what Jesus has done for you, if you have him in your life, is a huge thing. What Jesus has done for me has changed me in every way. I mean, I before I knew the Lord, I was living in sin, uh, participating in illegal activity, uh, doing things I should be dead or in prison. And so when I reflect on what Jesus has done for me, it's huge. It has marked me. It has changed me. And if you have a relationship with the Lord, you have the same testimony because that's what Jesus does. He first comes and he ministers and, and ministers to you. And then he ministers in you, creating the character of God and helping us get rid of the junk in our lives and, and get rid of the worldly attitudes and the fleshly nature. He works in us to create the character of Christ. But all of that, he says, it's too small that it should stop there because God now wants to work through you. Not just through you in a sense of, well, as I go about my merry way, just, you know, I'll tell someone here about Jesus or I'll just be a light. There is a, a, a specific purpose. Says to the nation of Israel, it's too small a thing that Israel that I should just give you a savior just to raise up an entire nation of millions and millions of people. That's too small. Yes, that's too small. A price. The price of Jesus' blood purchased much more than just your salvation and just my salvation. It's not enough that what that your savior in your life, what Jesus has done for you, should just be about you. It's not enough that it should just be about your community and your church and your family. We've got to have God's vision. The entirety of God's vision needs to rest in our hearts as well. That God's heart is burning, burning for the unreached, burning for the nations. That his name should be glorified in all the earth. And when we say, God, open up my heart to that passion. Let my entire life be given to the purpose of making your name known in all the earth. And then say, Lord, where do you want me to start? But we start with that mission. We start with that purpose. And God will direct us. For some of us, that might mean that we look at our lives and say, my God, I have wasted the last 40 years of my life serving my own interests and, and just blessing God, as a, trying to bless God as a byproduct, basically pursuing my own goals. Lord, I haven't pursued your purposes. I haven't made my first pursuit the interest of the kingdom of God. That's why that rich young ruler went away sad. Because even though he had a heart for God, even though he was obeying and living the Christian life in terms of obedience to the word of God and the laws of God, I should say, he wasn't willing to put the mission of the cross above his own pursuits and his own interests. That's what Scripture calls us to. It's a high calling. 
It is a calling to the cross because the cross is where you lay your life down and give up your pursuits and give up your goals and give up your dreams and take on the pursuits and the goals and the dreams of our Father in heaven. And we begin to be about his business. With that rich young ruler, you can go on to read the rest of the chapter. Basically, the disciples look at Jesus as the rich young ruler walks away and the disciples look at him and say, Lord, how can anyone be saved if that's the call, if that's the requirement? And God says, you can't do this on your own. With man, it's impossible. It's a work of the Spirit of God and the work of grace in us by which we lay down our lives. So with God, this is possible. And then he, Jesus goes on to say that anyone who does this, anyone who lays down their life and gives up houses or lands or salaries or careers or friends, whatever it may be that you're giving up, family, he says you will be rewarded and repaid a hundredfold here now in this life and you'll receive the eternal life that you seek. God knows how to reward and take care of his own. This is not a calling to misery. It's not a calling to poverty, per se. It is a calling to a mission, the same mission that Jesus gave his life for. He invites us and calls us to give our lives for the same purpose. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for this invitation. Lord, we thank you. And if the worship team, if you want to come up and play softly, that would be terrific. Father, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that you have, you have met us. You met us right where we were, God, that your grace reached down into our filth and into our sin. And you ministered to us. And you healed us. Many in this place have a testimony of healing. Lord, you've restored the joy that the enemy had stolen from us. God, you've given us peace when all that we knew before was conflict and despair. God, you've given us a garment of praise instead of despair, Lord. You've given us beauty for ashes. God, you've ministered to us. You've changed us in so many ways. And Lord, you've ministered in us and you've, you've produced the character, the love for people, Lord. You've produced the fruit of the Spirit in us. You've produced patience in us and self-control. Lord, you've taught us to say no to ungodly lusts. But Jesus, that's still too small a thing that we should stop there because you want to minister through us. Not according to our plans, not haphazardly or randomly, but Lord, according to your mission, you have invited and called us into your mission that we should take up the cross. Lord, that we should now see to it that those in the world who do not know, God, that those people groups who do not have access, Lord, that it is now our mission that they should know you, that they should receive your salvation, God, that the whole earth should be filled with your glory. Holy Spirit of God, you alone know how to apply that mission in our lives and what that looks like. Lord, you know who in this room you're calling to full-time missions. You know who you're calling to the mission field here in this room, like a bomb being dropped right now. Lord, you know who you're calling in this room 
to say that you, you've been pursuing your own purposes. God, you know who you're calling in this room to make a change of career. Lord, you know who you're calling into full-time ministry. Lord, you, knew, you know who you're calling to reprioritize finances. Lord, when we've set aside and spent so much money on our own comforts and on our own goals, on our own dreams and vision. Lord, when the whole reason that you made us a steward of that money was so that we could advance your kingdom first. Lord, you know which of us in this room have given our entire lives for the wrong purposes, or maybe we've given our entire life halfway. Halfway, Lord. There's some things that we just haven't let go of because they're just too comfortable. Lord, we want to lay down. We want to cooperate with the Spirit of God. We know that it's not possible on our own, but Holy Spirit, we want to lay down those things in our lives it may not necessarily be sin, but Lord, it's taking the place of pursuing your call. It's taking the place of taking up the cross and following you. Lord, you know those in this room who you're calling to keep doing what we've been doing, but Lord, maybe to, to pray more fervently and more purposefully for the lost, to pray for the nations. Lord, you know those who you've gifted for certain purposes, but we've been using those giftings for our own ends, Lord God, instead of advancing your kingdom. Jesus, it's such a privilege that you've made us ambassadors, that we should be pleading to the nations on your behalf, saying, be reconciled to God. It's not a burden, it's not a chore. Oh God, crucify us of self, selfish ambitions. When the whole reason that we were saved and the reason we were changed, yes, it's because you love us, but Lord, it's because you have a purpose. God, you do have a plan and you do have a place for us in your plan. And may we submit and lay down our lives to you. Holy Spirit, we cannot do it ourselves. This is not a work of the flesh. It's a work of grace. And Father, we submit ourselves now to your grace. And Spirit of God, have your way. Have your way. With heads still bowed and eyes closed, please. If you're in this place and you sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you, and it may be a bomb that is rocking your world right now, or it may be a gentle nudge, saying that there's a, there's a priority that's out of line. There's, there's a personal pursuit, a personal priority that has taken precedence over the mission of the cross in your life. And you may know already what you need to do. You may not know. But the important thing is this. We need to respond to the Holy Spirit. God did not speak to Samuel until Samuel responded to his call. And Samuel said, Lord, here I am, your servant hears. If you're in this place and the Spirit of God is speaking to you, it's important that you take this moment and respond and you have an opportunity to do that right now with no one looking around. Just slip up a hand if the Spirit of God is speaking to you in this place. But there's an adjustment right now. Put your hand up high, please.
You're responding to the Lord. Yes, 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 yes. We'll wait just a moment. The Spirit of God is speaking. There's someone in this room you have passionate love for God. And you've been filled with this Holy Spirit and God has spoken things. And you've wondered maybe when and how that those promises of the Lord are going to come to pass. They come to pass as we lay down our lives and follow Him. He brings it to pass. Is there anyone else in here? You didn't raise your hand the first time. The Spirit of God is nudging and saying there's a priority in your life that has taken the precedence over the mission of the cross. That's you. Raise your hand if you haven't responded yet. 